Hello and welcome to Meet the Filmmaker podcast, recorded live at Cinema Nova Melbourne. On today's episode, we have the cast and crew of the new Aussie film, Girl Asleep. Join Philippa as she introduces the director, Rosemary Myers, the music and sound producer, Harry Koval, and actors Bethany Whitmore and Harrison Felvin. Now, Rose, this this um this wonderful film began its life as a play, and I think probably with all the people you have here and, and in the audience, that's about as many people as you had on stage, more or less, wasn't it? It was a pretty yes. Well, for the pl- to make the play, we had five actors, so um that was uh, obviously a big change, getting to work with a full cast and to have um we uh, to have you know all all the different extras involved in the film and we ad- we got to add some characters uh, the character of Adam was an addition in the in the um in the in the in the film so yeah that was that was quite amazing in the in the dance party scene in the play the f- um four actors enter in 3 minutes in 20 different in twenty different costumes, it's quite a high point of the play. But um, obviously, we wanted to make a scene that was of equal kind of weight in the film. But if you did that gag on film, it just would be meaningless because <laughs> obviously, you you can cut and and bring different actors in. So yeah, we wanted to make something equally special for that moment, which uh, I, 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 I a lot of people. That really love that that moment. So that's when we work with a lot of young people from different from dance schools around Adelaide to to pull out their best disco moves in that entrance scene. Yeah. So Girl Asleep um, is from it was a, a theatre production for Windmill Theatre in in South Australia, and um, it was the third in a trilogy um, of films about um, young people. And but it, you and you actually um, wrote it. For both, you know, developed it as a film and as a play at more or less the same time. Yes, it was an right? it was an amazing experience because myself and Matthew Whitter, who's the writer and who plays Conrad, and Jonathan Oxlade, who's our designer, the three of us make a lot of plays together. We're a very uh, close knit team, and we love um, we make work for young audiences. We love writing about the teenage experience, and we just find that such a exciting time of life. And we were invited to participate in an amazing workshop called the Hive, which gave people from uh, different artistic backgrounds from visual arts, dance, the opportunity to um, work with filmmakers and think about translating some of their work into film and attached to that was a fund. So that was really great. So where we could pitch an idea and we pitched, we were making this play, Girl Asleep at the time, and we were very, very immersed in the world of the story and we went, how amazing would it be to to tell this as a as a film? So that's, we knew when we were um, putting it on as a play that we were then going to make it as a film probably about 10 months after that. Yeah. And so, so it's a pretty exciting sort of development to, to go about it that way. To oh, it was amazing. And amazing for us because we are essentially a group of theatre makers, the three of us. Then we collaborated obviously with the DOP who was Andy Comas and also with um, Karen DeCinque, our editor, but and um, also Harry worked on both the film, a little bit on the play, but mainly on the film as the composer. So the, the, it was, um, yeah, it was... I think if you've, you've if you've had the if you worked in one medium for a long time to have the opportunity to storytell in a different medium and just all of the things that I mean film is a major influence on us as a group of even theatre makers we're always talking about Gondry or um, Wes Anderson they're the things that even inspire our theatre so to suddenly have all of the things at, the filmmaking tools at our disposal to tell a story it was it was just quite phenomenal. Yeah. So can I ask Harrison and Bethany, now you, you've sat in on this film quite a bit now, haven't you? How many times do you think you've seen it? I know you're a lot more than me. I think I'm 
10 now. <laughs> and what about, what about you, Bethany? I think I'm about... 50 plus, maybe? <laughs> <laughs> because, but you do see different things in it each time, don't you? I mean, that's one of the reasons. Can, can you walk to talk a little bit about how, how it's changed for you as, as, you know, watching it? I presume the first time you watched it, you thought, oh, you kind of wanted to check out your own performances a little bit. But beyond that, you've, you've found more and more in it each time. Is that right? Yeah, for sure. I totally agree with that. Every time it's a bit different. Um, the first time you watch it, you're kind of judging your performance, saying, oh, well, I could have done that a bit better, or something like that. Oh, actually, that was quite good. I'm really proud of myself. <laughs> Ooh, go me. Um, but then after a while, you start to see all the subtle nuances in the film that make it so great. Like, And you pick up on different sounds and the, all the different foreshadowing. I think it's great. Mm. There are a lot of things that are yeah, foreshadowing or Easter eggs that are hidden in the film. And I think the last time I watched it, I went, oh, that's it. I've seen everything. I know everything there is to this film. And even today, I still picked up on more things. For example, the, um, the frozen woman, or Janet, Greta's mum, she always wears blue. And that's in contrast to the frozen woman, I'm guessing. Is that right? Yes. <laughs> so you should all go and see it about 50 times and then you'll get it. And, and Harry, for you, is, um, the music overall is quite a big part of it. I mean, this is probably something um, that, that you and Rose can both sort of talk about, that, that the, the role of the music, um, that, you know, there's quite a bit of a score in between, isn't there? Um, can you talk a little bit about how, how you set about creating that... Um, you know, just for the particular scenes, but also in conjunction with the the seventies songs as well. Um, I think yeah, because uh, all of the kind of nostalgic sourced music is so powerful and like it it really works well in those kind of big fun moments. Um, I think for the score, uh, uh, we had to try to find something that uh, could orchestrate the kind of more subtle. Uh, maybe more vulnerable, some of the more vulnerable internal moments for mainly for uh, Greta's character. So with the music box and uh, the mo like moments where she has fights with her family. And then when it moved out to the forest, it was kind of anything goes with the sound, just <laughs> crazy going bananas. Of the many differences between working in, in film um, and working in theatre, was the, the role of sound different as far as you were concerned? I think in our theatre we we thought we did fairly we, we use quite cinematic sound but actually what what i realize is that we we, we actually score a lot hev more heavily in the theater because you just you can't do tight and you can't you, you you so you have to kind of create the psychological world through the kind of visceralness of the theater so you you might actually actually be a lot more way something that will be extremely way too heavy-handed probably for um, for the film, so we actually were a lot more restrained when we first started working on the film. We were probably throwing a lot more sound at, at it, and then we kind of went, actually, you know, we don't we don't need it. Surprisingly, so then we kind of found out between Harry and myself, sort of how that the composition would function and we we're one of the we really wanted to we had a very t small budget to make this relatively small budget to make the film and uh, we didn't have much money to buy tracks so we um we went to the angels with the with the rough cut of the fight scene with uh, <laughs> and and uh, they were really great we said look we've only got this much money and they gave that us that track for half price because they really liked the the scene and then um we had already found 
Sylvester was one of the cheaper disco tracks that we loved that we could use. So then we were all looking for a different kind of more obscure 70s music that we could buy that we thought was really good. And um, and then like Har- Har- obviously Harry was doing some of the um, the Benoit Tremé kind of stuff. But we were at the ben- last Benoit Tremé is a character that was introduced in the film, but he wasn't in the in the play, yes. is that right? In yeah. the play, he was. It was. He actually is in there, but he's Serge Gainsbourg. But right. there was no way we could get permission from Serge. We wanted to put Serge Gainsbourg in there, but we couldn't get permission. I'm sure from he his. would have been very yeah. happy. <laughs> 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 but, uh, yeah, he wouldn't. We couldn't get. I mean, when he explained what the context was, I think the estate thought. That sounds a little bit dubious <laughs> with an underage girl. But um, then, so anyway, and we just created our own character. And so then we, Harry did a lot of that orchestration. We just found tracks from everywhere. And we were able to go at the very last minute back to some of the funders and say, if you can just give us a tiny bit more money, then we can use all original music and we don't, um, for the party, background music, which we really, Harry and I really felt very passionate about that. We didn't want to use sort of synthesizer-generated party tracks so then so there's kind of a delineation between the party music and the original composition and as far as um preparing your characters now i mean your character is a much a much more silent character much more expresses through her through sort of gesture and facial expressions whereas harrison yours a very verbal guy um so how did you sort of prepare for your characters and sort of get to know who your characters were uh, well, I get joked out a lot saying I didn't act at all. That was just me in the film. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> um, we know that's not true. <laughs> so it, it was a bit of a caricature, uh, caricature of myself, which was, I mean, it was fun to play, but it was also really good that I could always be um, optimistic at all times. Even when he gets hit by IP, he's still just like, ha-ha, you should do hockey. <laughs> um, so um, <laughs> uh, going up to that... Um, it wasn't too hard, I find, for myself, but it was fun to get into the role. Mm-hmm. And what about you, Bethany? What about sort of finding finding Greta? Um, well, I kind of went through and sort of spotted the things that I could relate to her and connect to her through. Um, I At the time, I had only just turned 15, so I understood the kind of journey of self-discovery that she was going through at that time. And... I mean, she was a very introverted character. She kind of keeps to herself. She's very contempt in her own little world. And um, I guess in a way, I I too can be quite introverted at times, especially when I'm at home. Oh, actually, no, sometimes at home. I don't know. Um, But, yeah, I played with my toys as well until I was at least 13. I don't know, 14 maybe even. (laughs) But um, I loved getting lost in my own little world like she did. And I always used to get so entranced and my mum would just walk in and three hours later I'd still be playing some kind of <laughs> game with all my plastic horses. So, there you go. I had plastic horses too, I'll admit it now. Uh, the, the location is, is one, I mean, the, wonderful. The, the house is a real house. So your, your room is a set. Tell us about the house and where you found it. And yeah, we did. Well, because we come from Adelaide, the film was made in Adelaide, so we just did, we put a call out in the paper and we spent about four months going around to visit people's houses who wanted their house to start in the film and when we found this one we were absolutely thrilled because it just offered us everything that we that we needed it is a really amazing house and uh yeah, that it's in a suburb called um, Panorama in Adelaide, and um, then the the street, the 70s street that they're walking in, is also is just behind the house. So the the pool, the the bedroom is a made set, and then the forest is our Blackwood forest. But we obviously built a set and shot a lot of the film on a 
uh, we built a set uh, forest in the studio. That was a bit of our naivety coming to the film. First off, as a first-time filmmakers, we Matt and I went. Let's see, we'll make the film. We'll sh- shoot it in a forest at night, and that'll be really cheap. <laughs> and so I went. Are you crazy? That's incredibly expensive to set up lighting at night and shoot at night. So then we went. Okay, with Andy Commerce, the DOP, we went. Let's make let's build a forest and then we can shoot for as long as we long, long as we like and set up the lighting and it'll be uh, much more efficient and it also felt much more natural to us because we're used to working on a set so there was the house uh, that was real and the school was a real looking there's quite a lot of schools in that ilk in Adelaide that Finden High it's called Finden High so but a lot of them through that you know big initiative that the government had a few years ago to refurbish all the schools have lost a bit of the some of them, you know, they've become. They don't look quite so 70s. So that one hadn't under, that one hadn't had its makeover yet. So we were lucky, and made me think they should keep some period schools for films. Just, just for films. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But coming from theatre to film, you you took um, quite a number of your collaborators with you. Mm. You know, you did it together with. But you also found people. Um, from the film industry, you probably were collaborating with theatre people for the first time. Mm. Can you talk a little bit about what you learned from each other? We found a lot of amazing crew, but when we found um, particularly our DOP, Andy and and Karen Duchinque, our editor, that was really needing to find people that, number one, had quite an aligned sensibility to us aesthetically, like we're interested in the same kind of things. They're amazing filmmakers, but they have a bit of a maverick edge as well. They were kind of... We learnt so much about filmmaking from them and that was fantastic. They put a lot of energy into um, particularly Andy with me. We spent a lot of time in pre-production just working on the look of the film and the composition of all the shots and how that looked, how it kind of functioned to tell the story. And then I think they enjoyed working with us because we were so lateral, because we are used to solving things in real time and real space so we if there's a problem we can you know we 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 in the theater you just have to make it up in a room in front of people you don't you can't go on location you can't get a tight shot or so so um when you know we were running out of money going how are we going to do this horse scene through a forest we go that's fine we'll just get we've got a plastic horse in this back in the back room we'll just cut that off and you know so and uh, so a few things like that a lot of quite of the things are you know like the, the choreography obviously that's another element that they were really excited by because that's just second nature to us mm. doing choreography and um yeah that's some of the lighting effects is quite more theatrical and sort of some of the heightened performances. They they would just really embrace that. I think that was really important because it was a, it was quite a joyful collaboration between us and it kind of had to be because if we I think if we would have butted up against each other, oh yeah, it, no, it would have been awful if there yeah. sort of been hierarchies or yeah. sort of demarcation disputes. Yeah, or and and another thing I think they enjoyed is the fact that because we come from the theatre background and the way we make our work, they. We are very collaborative, like we all have a lot of input into, although we have our roles, we also, you know, contribute a lot to each other's areas. So they they really enjoyed that because they're not used to that, like us kind of going to, Andy was out looking for tracks and for music tracks and, um, you know, Kaz was looking at the script early on and so I think they enjoyed, you know, they had a tremendous investment in the whole, in the film the whole way through. It was really a big team effort which kind of culminated in us and um, Beth and Beth and Ian Harrison all going to 
to Berlin together for the international premiere, which is kind of like a big celebration of of what of of the film. Because I mean, Berlin must have been a fantastic um, experience. I mean, it's a wonderful way to to sort of launch the film internationally. Mm. One of the great things was you ta- we'd take it. We had pre- premiered the film in Adelaide, so we knew that Adelaide we had done really well with it in Adelaide. But then it was a local product, and so for the first time, we were seeing the film with an international audience, and just to see that they actually responded to the material as well and that they had a dialogue with the content that was so thrilling actually and just to go okay and then it just sort of spiraled from there because we were picked up by a a sales agent from um berlin and then the film they've gone on to sell the film all around the world and and, um we have been quite lucky to go to quite a few other other film you've festivals. been to a lot of festivals. Yes, the film, the film's been to around 21 festivals altogether and been all around the world. We haven't been to all of those. We just haven't. Uh, but but um, we've been to been to quite a few. And then it's also been sold on to quite a lot of territory. So it, you know, it's being released in America around, around uh, uh, coinciding with this release too, which is, you know, we just it's just all kind of been a, a journey beyond our wildest wildest dreams, really. Um, so you've got plans now to do. Another film, haven't you? Another. That's oh, we definitely got a taste for making films now. I mean, it was wonderful to collaborate with these, you know, great young young actors and to, you know, all of the young cast made it so much of a fun adventure. And um, yeah, we just, I, um, yeah, we just. Yeah, we, I think we just got such a taste for it. We have, we feel like we've got quite a big back catalogue of works that would be great to adapt into film. And so we've been really lucky because of the traction that we've had with this film that we, uh, uh, you know, have a, some, you know, really good people coming to us and saying, what what would you like to do next? And I feel personally, because I feel like I learnt so much making the film, I, I just feel like I'm itching to have another go knowing what I know now and knowing so much more about how the medium works. It's until you kind of come through the whole process, you, you, then it all kind of makes sense. So, um, yeah, I just yeah feel 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 so excited. Definitely very keen to make more films. But you still got a theatre company to, to right, keep going and a new show to write. And, yes. And, yes. And Girl Asleep is, is actually... The theatre show is in, at Belvoir Street at the yes, end of the year. Yes, at the end it? of the year it'll be at, at Belvoir. So the theatre works so far in advance. Everything's booked in like one, two, three years in advance and oh, everyone, all seasons get locked in. It works in a much more rigid way to film. So, we, we, I mean, we didn't know what the film would do and we had a full year of plays booked, ready to go with our companies and so, um, yeah, we're kind of trying to clear a bit of space next year so we can start working on another film after this. So it's very, very exciting times for us. I'm sure you know you'd like to ask some questions as well. So let's let's throw to just on a different vein. My friend and I had a real giggle at the clothes <laughs> and the stubbies. Yeah, great. And the settings. I just thought that was fantastic. Transporting us back to the 70s. Oh, good. So congratulations. I Thank thought you. that was a real buzz. Well, we had a very funny experience with the, with the Japanese journalist, and the Japanese journalist was saying. You know, why did you make the father wear those shorts? See, she thought she thought we were making some kind of deep say, statement, and then she thought, oh, why, why did you do that? And we went because that's what Australian men wore in the 1970s. She seriously didn't believe it. So, <laughs> yeah. I think they should bring them back. <laughs> Hello, um, congratulations, brilliant film, oh, thank um, you. Rosemary. I was interested in what you said before that you quite well, you were quite fascinated working with and exploring like adolescence and being young. Um, I'd love to know what your connection to your youth and your adolescence is and if that's the motivator 
for wanting to work with it and yeah what that motivator is yeah i mean i think i think we talk about that quite a lot because you go you know it's such a formative time and it's such a great time that's a time that's all about identity here you are you kind of you know separating yourself out from your parents and you're saying who am i going to be in this world it can be a very violent time because you're understanding it's quite the world's quite hierarchical it's you know your sexuality you're going to have to navigate this world that's you know, you are going to have to navigate this world and how are you going to navigate it? And it can be quite terrifying and it can be incredibly exhilarating and it can also be both things from one minute to the next. So I just, I mean, I think about my adolescence, which is highly suburban and boring on one hand, but I think about it the way it felt. The stakes felt enormously high uh, uh, in that time. And also we're very interested in the teen experience. It's kind of this strange kind of binary it's like this adrenaline charged time where you're taking all these risks and you know doing some crazy things and then on the other hand you're spending this kind of so much time in your own head so more probably more time than you ever have to spend in your own imagination than you ever 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 get again but one one thing we that play we made before this was really about a group of three teenage losers going to the school dance and we really felt like as a group of artists we were the drama nerds you know like we were the we were the losers and uh and and we kind of like it as a shout out to young people too to kind of go you know you might be doing it tough at the moment in terms of the pecking order but you know that that was us and we we and our lives ended up being pretty fun and you know so um yeah i think it is i just think for so many reasons it is just such a i think there's a endless amount of stories located in that time of life yeah uh so as you guys were like 15 when when you started filming this uh how involved were you guys in the media and like the industry prior to this like have you done acting before was this kind of all new um so i'd previously done a abc show on netflix called upper middle bogan uh so from there uh from there i think that's where you found me um So I'm very thankful for that. <laughs> I've been acting since I was six years old. Um, I've worked on uh, Mary and Max, which was a long time ago. I was, I think I was eight or nine at that time, and I played the voice of young Mary, which was very exciting. It was a great, great set to be on. And um, I also worked on Mental with PJ Hogan, who directed Muriel's Wedding. And most recently, I've just done the TV series for The Family Law which is very exciting. We're doing season two in October. Um, I have to confess, this is the second time I've seen this film and I've seen all things in it that perhaps um, uh, didn't really come out quite as much to me the first time, but certainly have the second time. And that is the inclusion of the Nordic mythology. Mm. Um, Obviously, there's a um, Finnish mythology in it which I found very interesting because it adds a different creative aspect to it how did that come about I mean it came about I actually we had the pen pal before we had the um Finnish holder which is kind of and and Matt had written uh this kind of warrior character which and obviously you know represents that side of Greta in the um um, it, I think for us, like you, you know, the fairy, the forest in fairy tale, it's a, it's a, it's a major metaphor of, you know, it's a, it's a liminal space. It's a time where you go to confront the unknown, and in fairy tale, when you pass through the forest, it's a time of transition, and it, that alone felt like a great space for a teenage story because some teenagers skip through the forest, 
some teenagers struggle through the forest and some teenagers go into the forest and they don't come out the other side. Some, you know, so the, uh, uh, for me, the Holdra is that is that character. She lives eternally in the forest. But also, so when we started looking, um, it, it just the dots kind of connected up and we were looking at different, because we love the Finnish um, Greta pen pal, we started looking at different... Um, warrior heroes of of in that, in that mythology and and the Holdra just seemed like such a great one. She cut, she appears in a whole lot of different configurations in different uh, Nordic tales, like as with the but she does have the tail that she like yes. she has announced. No, yet. I thought it was very good. Oh, thank, thank you. you, thank you. Um, thanks so much for the film. I really loved it. Um, I was just wondering back to the question about inspiration. Is that why you chose to have it set in the seventies? Uh, yeah, I mean, all of our the, the trilogy of plays that we've made of this is the third one. They're all set in different areas. Eras. The first one's kind of manga, and then sort of nineties. The school dance is set in the eighties, and then we wanted to do the seventies in this. So we, we for a couple of reasons. We think for the female story, it's a really interesting time to set the story because you know this. You know, the you've kind of got Janet, the mum, who is very much the homemaker, and then the sister. Um, Genevieve, who's kind of getting into all this exotic music and you feel like her world is really opening up as it was for women in the 70s. You know, the options for girls in the 70s and the, and the models for girls in the 70s was, was changing a lot. You know, also it's, you know, it's, it's a much, in some ways it's a much sort of sweeter time. I mean, I know there were, in that you know, young people weren't so kind of flooded with, information at that time so I think they were a bit more naive than contemporary young people in terms of they just didn't have so much information and at their disposal so I kind of I think it's nice to set set stories in a kind of their own little other world because you kind of hopefully in the theatre particularly and in, in film you kind of carry a little bit of that vibe with you and, and we just I mean we do just really love the 70s it's such a good looking time we think <laughs> in its own in its own special way. Um, my question is in terms of financing. Did you find it difficult to get it greenlit or was it easier because it was an adaptation of a play? No, we were just – we were so lucky because we did The Hive and that was just very – it allowed us to get the first chunk of money through The Hive and then once we had the first chunk, it meant that we could then approach the SAFC, when South Australian Film Corporation, they came on board – and the Ian Potter Foundation, and then we got the offset for those of you in film who understand how that works. It means you can get a, uh, you have to you take a loan out, and then you get the money reimbursed as a tax offset, which is how all films are made in Australia. So that was how we built the built the budget. But we, uh, I don't think we ever would have got the film up because we were unknown through the normal channels. And um, so I really commend. I mean, some amazing projects have come out of the Hive. If you've seen. Bangara Dance Theatre made a dance film, which is quite phenomenal. A beautiful, amazing documentary called Tender. There's another s group of films and TV projects that are coming out of it, the final round, which are coming out of it. So it's, it's so exciting when, you know, when there is an initiative like that that does allow for that to happen. And it was very much driven by Kat Kat Katrina Sedgwick, who is at ACME, and Amanda Duthie and the ABC. And they said this this does happen a bit more internationally, that artists do get to kind of cross fertilise in that way. So they were very encouraging. Yeah. yeah congratulations. I, I was um, surprised to hear that it had a male uh, writer, yeah. Matt, yeah. Um, you know, dealing with the psyche of a young female so yeah. can you talk about that and whether you ended up putting in much in the writing process yeah I mean we do collaborate a lot together but he's Matt's very good at I think 
you know, writing about the teenage experience. My favourite thing that Matt does is for in his writing is write this beautiful relationships, beautiful friendships, you know, often the, you know, friendships that you don't sort of anticipate. So I think that's a... And I think that's... I mean, friendship in adolescence is just such an important thing because your peers kind of become become your world. And so I think he encapsulates that. And, yeah, we just workshop it, workshopped it a lot. But, no, he did... Yeah, he's pretty good at kind of putting himself in other people's... One, one, one thing, too, is we often write for actors, which is actually a really helpful way of writing as well, but not in this instance because these were... you know That's why Eamon, who originally played Elliot, was just blown away when he got to see Harrison's incredible performance and, and uh, yeah, the same with the actors who played the show. So there's a lot of input along the way. OK, I'm super nervous. <laughs> um, <laughs> speak out my feelings. Um, can I just say that the trailer was amazing? <laughs> And I came here thinking, can it live up to the trailer? Yeah. And it superseded it. And, Thank of course, so I'm going to tell all my friends. Thank you so much. Um, That's very kind. And just what you were touching on just before about going with your feelings and, and living your dreams and stuff. And I, I have just been super inspired. I'm a writer, actor. Oh, this movie is me. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's so lovely to hear. I mean, there's there's nothing more pleasing. You know, we work on we work on the the plays. We pour our lives into them, and we're deeply passionate about what we do. So it's very very satisfying to see how an audience engages with the work, and then that, that that you know it means something to them. There's there's actually nothing more satisfying for for us to hear that. You know, to sit in a cinema and hear people laughing at the jokes we thought were funny and then yeah. to, to go on the ride with the story so thank you very much You've it really means an a lot job. and i'll pass it on to the others as well because they'll yeah. be thrilled yeah. yeah yeah i think we've um have to say good night now but please please thank, thank rose and harry and harrison and bethany and um yeah tell yeah tell everyone girl asleep is out now at cinema Nova. Special thanks to the cast and crew, as well as Philippa Hawker, Cinema Nova, and Memento Films. This podcast was recorded and edited by Patrick Bridges.